today we're going to, I uh, was looking at, you know, what, what can I preach on Easter Sunday? And uh, the reality is there's not a ton of choice. Uh, it's the same story every year, and it's the same reality every year. And there's about four or five different messages that I have that kind of are all the same thing on Easter Sunday. And so this morning, uh, because of where we've been for the last couple of weeks answering questions, we're going to take a little bit of an apologetic look at the resurrection of why it matters. And then at the end uh, of this sermon time today, I'm going to tie that together with what Jesus said about who he is in terms of the resurrection. So if you want to follow along in a Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, it's known as the resurrection chapter. I'm going to read a good chunk of it. We're going to read from verse 12 to verse 34. Uh, There should be blue Bibles around you if you want to follow along, but uh, no pressure there. Um, if you're looking up in the Bible and you're not familiar with the Bible, the big numbers are the chapters and the little numbers are the verses. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we're going to start in verse 12. And I'm just going to read this whole section and then we're going to kind of walk through it piece by piece. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth. Uh, this is a letter that he's writing to the church in the city of Corinth. He says this starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead were not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, quote, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected, he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. Now, that's an intense part of the letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, And so obviously today we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Sorry, that's blowing into my microphone and I can hear it making noise. Um, But that's what Easter Sunday is all about, right? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the bodily, physical, historical event of the resurrection of Jesus. But why is it so significant? Why did the Apostle Paul 
uh, say that if it's not true, what I'm doing right now is invalid, and if you have faith in Jesus, it's in vain. This is what we're just going to talk through today. And again, we touched on some of this just a few weeks ago, uh, but if you're new with us this morning, um, I wanted to just make sure that we got this uh, conversation going today. Um, And so if the resurrection of Jesus is true, what if it's true? Then what we would say as a church, as Christians, is that unbelief then becomes implausible. Right? If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that gives validity to what the Apostle Paul just said in that text I just read you. It also validates his preaching, and in line with that, what I'm doing right now, my preaching about what? The good news of Jesus. But if the resurrection is not true, then our own Bible tells us that all of that crumbles. All of that crumbles. Everything would and it should change for those of us who embrace the resurrection if it's not true. If it's not true, then the Bible itself just said we're ridiculous for being here. This is pointless, right? If the resurrection is not true, there's way more fun things you can do on a Sunday morning. And I love gathering with the church, but like brunch is nice, right? (laughs) If he had not been raised from the dead, there's no good news. There's no gospel. Uh, There's a famous pastor from New York who says this, the resurrection is the hinge upon which the story of the world pivots, that everything rides on this. So what we believe as Christians about the resurrection or the doctrine of the resurrection, right, what we believe about it has gigantic implications for how you actually live your life. We don't think it's just some historical event. It actually affects how we live. It changes how we experience the realities of life and death. And so here's where I want to go today. I want to look at the realities of the resurrection, implications, and then an application. Uh, And so if you're here with us and you're kind of a guest today and you have like a question, I would love for you to write it down, make a note in your phone, whatever you want to do, and and I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, I, I just had a couple questions before the service started uh, in the vein of like, hey, wait a minute, what about, and we just had a great discussion. I love that stuff. Uh, not to try to, to, to debate you and answer your question, but just to, maybe it'll be a question for me too. So I'd love to talk about that. Now, all of us, right? So if we think about the realities of the resurrection, what is resurrection? All of us, including Christians, if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, have a hard time accepting the idea that somebody can be actually dead, like dead, dead, right? Not like incapacitated in a coma, but like dead, and then rise from the dead. So as Christians, we believe that, but if you tell me that as a Christian, you've never had at least some wavering in your ability to like deal with that reality intellectually, I'm just going to say you're not being totally honest with yourself. Of course you've had doubts about it. And sometimes one of the issues that we have is that we, we write off people in the Bible as like ancient gullible people who are not as informed as us. And so, of course, they had an easier time accepting something that seems kind of weird like resurrection. But what's interesting is that ancient people actually had just as difficult of a time believing something like this could happen as we do. Death is death. It doesn't matter where you find yourself historically. Death is a reality. People don't come back from being dead, no matter what time in history you, you are from. And so from the, for the Greeks of Jesus' time, the idea of resurrection was actually unthinkable to them. This is why Paul is writing this to Corinthians, 
right? To, to that part of the, the culture, this was unthinkable, absurd to them because they had a view of the world that would separate the physical from the spiritual. They saw them as two realms of reality. They considered the spirit and the soul to be beautiful and to be good, and the body and the physical to be ugly and evil. And I'm way oversimplifying here, but that's generally what they thought of. And so resurrection created this difficulty in reconciling the renewal of a physical body. For the Greeks and even the Greek Christians, their worldview just was not compatible with a bodily, physical resurrection. And this kind of thinking still permeates even our thinking inside of the church today. Many of us sort of devalue the physical, but the resurrection of Jesus from the dead says that creation matters, that God cares about your body. The Jews of that day are a bit different in that they do believe that at the end of all things, the world would be, be remade. And there's actually two, but only two, explicit references in the Old Testament to a resurrection. Those are Isaiah 26 and Daniel 12. And so they did anticipate a bodily resurrection at the end of time, right? At the end of this kind of era of time that they found themselves in. But they didn't have a place in that worldview for a sort of physical bodily resurrection in the middle of history. They didn't have a category for that. And so the resurrection of Jesus would have been difficult for them as well to make sense of. Now, what's interesting also is that there's actually quite a bit of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead historically. There are even some well-known atheists, one of which is named Anthony Flew. I've quoted him before. Uh, he said this, the evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion. In any other religion. It's outstandingly different in quality and quantity from the evidence offered for the occurrence of most other supposedly miraculous events. So historically, there's a ton of evidence for the resurrection. Now, all the cards on the table, just because you can assent to that intellectually doesn't mean that you're going to believe in Jesus. The guy who said that became a theist. He believes in a God, but he never became a Christian. So the the thought of the evidence was strong enough, though, though he thought evidence for the resurrection was strong enough for resurrection, he never actually embraced it in the way that we're going to talk about at the end of our time today. Because the reality of resurrection is not just assent to an idea. And I, and I think, like if I'm honest with myself, I want resurrection to be true. I think everybody would want resurrection to be true. Even if you don't think that it is, you can want it to be, right? Like, I don't think that's true, but it would be cool if it was. If there's no sort of apex towards which history is bending, then it's like, what's the point of all of this? What's the motivation for good and right things like justice for the oppressed and caring for God's creation, fighting for things like legislation that promote human flourishing? As Christians, we think... What we think about the resurrection is, is that it gives context that makes those other things have a point. If, if this life is it, why should I strive for that other stuff? See, resurrection means, again, that this world matters. Resurrection shows us that God cares deeply and, and actually is what he said he is, which is loving towards his creation. 
Many of us, if we could see ourselves clearly, we would actually fall into that ancient Greek belief we talked about where we sort of split the spiritual and the physical. And, And Christians, again, many times we talk like this. Well, it's the soul that really matters. This life doesn't matter. Be careful with that kind of thinking. You're splitting something apart that God made holistic. You are holistic creations. Resurrection comes and says, no, no, no. This body, this physical body, God cares about it. This physical creation, God cares about it. N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. Now, The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not just something we believe in because we think there's good evidence, although we do. We believe in it because it's central to everything else we believe. Right? There's all kinds of debates all the time. What are the things that put you inside of and outside of historic Orthodox Christianity? The resurrection is one of those that if you step outside of believing in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you have stepped outside of what has been historic Orthodox Christianity. You are outside of the ancient creeds, right? And so this is what the text we read earlier is getting at. If there's no resurrection, everything falls apart. Here are six things that Paul mentions in the text. His work as an apostle is in vain, which is a tough pill to swallow for the apostle Paul because he went through a lot of suffering for what he did. Number two, the Christian faith itself is in vain, So verse 14 from where we read. Number three, Paul says that he himself is a liar who misrepresents God. That's in verse 15. Number four, your Christian faith is futile. It's worthless. It does nothing. It's absurd even. And the sin problem is still a living problem that needs a solution. Verse 17, the promises of a new heaven and a new earth are worthless. They're empty. There's no afterlife for those those who have died. Verse 18. And then number six, finally, this present life experience of Christians is pointless and to be pitied. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are ridiculous if the resurrection is not true. So for Christianity, everything is riding on this, what we celebrate this day, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And and if you're not a Christian, you're like exploring or you're skeptical and you're like, man, it seems like everything is all about this whole resurrection thing. You're right, it is. Our own Bible says that it is. That if it's not true, not only are we wrong, but we're really badly wrong and foolish. There's no middle ground. And so God's character is called into question. Christians who claim that they're saved are not if there's no resurrection. Any sense of future hope is removed and our present experience devolves into meaninglessness. On the other hand, though, what if resurrection is true? What if it is true? Everything that we just mentioned is true in its opposite form. The church that Paul was writing to here in the text uh, hadn't taken into account the significance of the resurrection. They, They didn't realize how much was riding on this being true. Some of the people in the church that Paul is writing to failed to understand that the Christian idea of resurrection is not just about Jesus Christ being raised bodily from the dead as a past historical event, but it also includes the reality that all of those who believe in this and in Jesus will themselves be resurrected bodily at the end of all things. Look at verse 23. 
but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So this idea of firstfruits, what is that? We don't use that language, right? It means that Jesus' resurrection is the prototype for all the resurrection that his followers will experience. He is the first and the most important resurrection, but he will not be the last. Many of us as Christians, uh, we, we tend to have a wrong view of what's coming for us if we're not careful. We're not going to be disembodied souls floating around heaven. You are not turning into an angel when you die. That is not what the Bible teaches. We will be resurrected to live with God forever in renewed bodies that don't decay, that don't get sick, that don't need surgery, that don't get injured, that don't die like we do now. There's a text in the scripture that says, oh death, where is your sting? It's here. The sting of death is here with us, but resurrection comes and says, there's another answer. So the historic doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus makes us more interested in how we live our lives now, not less. When you understand the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that makes this life in this physical body matter all the more. The resurrection has humongous implications for how we live our lives because it helps us put into perspective the single most common issue for every human who's ever lived, and that is death. That it's a reality for all of us. Everyone who has ever lived has come to terms with the reality of death. I know you've heard me say this before. There's a pastor who I really appreciate who says the job of a pastor is to help their church prepare for their encounters with death. That, that's the core of what my calling is for us as a church. Some of us, we deal with death. We, we take a passive approach. And we avoid any talk of death, right? We, we don't want to talk about that's morbid, weird. Now think about how our culture has dealt with death. We put cemeteries, not next to the church where we're going to come and be reminded that we're mortal. We put them way out away from us. So we don't have to look at that. We want to act like it's not coming for us. But it is. Some of us do everything in our power to sort of ward off the approach of death. And then some of us maybe go the other way and embrace death by trying to twist it into something that it's not and make it seem good. Death is not what God meant for this creation. Even the church at Corinth, who Paul is writing to in our text, were trying to deal with death. They were having these weird baptisms on behalf of the dead. We, we read that in verse 29. Uh, Paul uses this weird apparent practice in his argument with them about the resurrection. So they're, they're trying to deal with this reality, but they don't know what to do. So, so everyone has to deal with the reality of death. And there tends to be sort of three main categories or buckets that people use to try to help them explain the meaning of death. Right? I don't know if you've been to a funeral in recent enough memory that you remember the feeling that was there, but there's a lot of unanswered question feeling in that room when you're in those places. Why? Because we don't have an answer for this reality. Here, here's three categories, uh, the way that people try to deal with death. The first two are false. The third, I'm going to argue, is the historically Christian view. The first is that our body and our soul just sort of cease to exist after death. So in this view, there's just nothing. We just die and that's it, and we're gone. 
We just cease. This will often lead a person to sort of a live for today attitude at its extreme, right? Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die, as Paul says in verse 32. Now, let, let's be honest and say there's a lot of people who hold this view who are amazing, great people who do good things for humanity in their life. I just would love to ask them why. What, why do you do that if there's nothing else? The second view for dealing with death is more of this weird mystical view where the body ceases to be, but the soul goes on. Many ancient people held that the body is intrinsically evil, but the soul is good. And so death is the thing that sort of releases the soul from this body prison. Maybe you kind of think this way if you're honest with yourself. This is a really common view among people, even Christians. We fall into this version of Christianity that's really sort of this dualistic view of death. But in Christianity, this is the sort of Christianity that tends to care very little for creation and for how we treat the physical world. Who cares? God's going to destroy all this anyway and make a new one. No. God is going to make new this creation, and resurrection is the first fruit of that. The third view, this is what I want to argue is a biblical, historically Christian view. This view is that the body and the soul continue to exist by way of resurrection. So this is a view that's holistic. It takes into account all that God has made us, right? We are a soul and we are a body. And resurrection deals with both. Now, there's no reason to believe this unless death has been defeated. And this is exactly what we believe as Christians and what we celebrate every Sunday, but specifically on this Sunday. This is exactly why we celebrate Easter so much, that Jesus Christ has defeated death. Like, that's what we think. That's what we build our lives on. Jesus Christ, by his resurrecting power, has swallowed up death forever. That's what I want you to know today, uh, and, I, and I want that to be a message that gets deep down into your soul, that in Jesus Christ, death does not have the final word over our lives, but the resurrection does. That death is a pathway to take us to be with Jesus forever. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's referencing Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a one-time event never to be repeated, right? It's a first fruits of a greater plan. In farming terms, first fruits is the very first showing of a given harvest. And so if the first fruits look good, you know that the rest of the harvest is going to be great. And the first fruits of this harvest is Jesus Christ himself. The harvest is looking pretty good. It's only the beginning of God's plan to redeem and to reconcile and to bring resurrection to all of his people. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he, being Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we find ourselves 
in the time in between the first historical prototype resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the bodily resurrection, which we celebrate today. And we find ourselves in between that and the time when all of those who would trust in Jesus Christ will be resurrected bodily themselves at his return to set up his never-ending kingdom and be with him. This is the vision for the future that God has for, for all things and for us as his people. Jesus will ultimately destroy every ruler, every authority, every power that's associated with death and sin and decay, and he will establish a world free from those things. No death, no sin, no oppression, no decay. And so as soon as we start talking about the end of all things, there's a million questions, a couple of which we were chatting about right before the service start. And as I said, Christianity is not afraid of those questions. Christianity is not afraid of those questions. But what I hope you hear today is that the resurrection of Jesus is God's way of sort of breaking into the death and the decay of your life. The resurrection of Jesus is God's plan for bringing resurrection into your life. Resurrection power is at work even now among God's people. And the invitation for us is to trust in Jesus so that his resurrection becomes our resurrection. And so we have a profound hope. No, no matter what happens in this life, we can know that the death, decay, and the sin, and the evil of this world, and even death itself, don't have the last say that Jesus does. We, we can live lives that, that risk an adventure for the kingdom of God. We can seek first the kingdom of God and not worry about anything else because resurrection is coming for us. See, resurrection gives Christians what the living for today attitude actually seeks to find, which is the ability to truly enjoy life without ultimately fearing its end. We don't have to fear the end of this physical life because resurrection in Jesus allows us to not fear it. Now, here's what's so important for us to really grasp this Easter morning. All, all this talk about resurrection is not about resurrection itself as an idea. And this matters because this changes everything about what we do with the resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 11, uh, there's a story about a man named Lazarus. And this man uh, loved, they were friends. Jesus loved Lazarus, the Bible says. But Lazarus got sick and died. And Jesus goes to see the two sisters of Lazarus, whom he's also friends with. And when he arrives, one of them named Martha, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we, we told you that he was going to die. Why didn't you get here sooner? Why didn't you show up earlier, Jesus? And Jesus comforts her and says to her, he's going to rise again, Martha. He's going to rise again. And Martha, being a Jew, as we mentioned, and believing in the resurrection at the end of time, like we mentioned earlier, she basically says, like, yeah, I know that he's going to rise again at the resurrection, Jesus. I, I get that. I, I, I understand that. She's not like a lot of us, though, right? She, I guess I can sort of buy into the idea. Uh, yeah, I get it, Jesus. Sure, sure, I, I get that. But Jesus said something to her that I think is a word for us this morning. Like, when I thought about this this week leading up to Easter, I thought, man, that, that's such, so impactful for our lives if we'll let it be. Listen to the way Jesus frames this reality 
and then our response to it. Here's what Jesus says in response to Martha's frustration. He says to her, verse 25 of John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? Notice what he says. He didn't say, I'm the pathway to get you resurrection. He didn't say, I'm how resurrection can happen. What did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says this, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Cool, Martha, you believe in the resurrection at the end of time, but do you believe this? You see what he's saying here? He's not denying that death is part of the human experience. I love that about Jesus in the Bible, honesty. He's not promising an escape. He's promising, listen to me, a transcendent victory over death. A subversive reality that actually undermines the very power of death in your life itself. And that is what we celebrate on Easter when we remind one another he is risen. He is risen indeed. His resurrection presence is here now. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, although they die. Again, not denying the reality of death. Although they die, yet they will live. Resurrection has the final word over death. Whoever believes and lives in him. Now, now what does this mean? Whoever, what does it mean to believe and live in Jesus? Simply put, though, it means that we understand that our very life is found in the presence of Jesus. Not as an idea, but as a person. This is what I think Jesus wants us to hear this Easter morning. He wants us to shift our focus off of Easter Sunday, the, the resurrection day, as a simple remember, remembrance of a religious holiday. That it's not just an observance of some religious platitudes of knowing the right answers to speak in the middle of our prayers, knowing how to say our Father or dear Jesus or however you pray. It's not about religious platitudes. Jesus is coming to us this morning with this radical, bold, world-shattering statement. He is entering our current situation. Whatever your situation is this morning, whatever you walked in here this morning with, Jesus is stepping into that reality, and he is saying to you, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he's saying to us this morning. And so, yes, we remember on this day that he was raised from the dead. And yes, we know that one day there's coming a resurrection from the dead that we look forward to. If you lost someone that, that loved Jesus, you look forward to this resurrection. All of that is true. But this morning on this Easter, there's this reality that I just want you to know. And that is that Jesus himself is your resurrection life. He is the resurrection life that you so desperately need this morning. But he doesn't just leave us with that statement. He asks all oh, the vital, most vital question that anyone can be asked. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he asks her, do you believe this? So that's the question for us this morning. And in the most loving way I can, I hope it haunts you this week. I hope you hear that question. Do I believe in Jesus who is the resurrection and the life? Now, another way to translate the word believe is in trust. So, so think about it this way. Jesus is asking, do you entrust yourself to me? Do you entrust yourself to him? 
to end, let, let me look at the answer that Martha gives because we see this present reality of Jesus, our resurrection in her answer. And it's the answer of faith. If you're like, well, what do I do with this now? Listen to Martha's answer. And I hope that this is your answer. Jesus asked her, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So the question for us, do you believe, and how are you going to respond to Jesus this Easter morning? How will you respond to the one who is the resurrection and the life? My hope for you is that you'll respond how Martha has responded here. My hope for you is that you'll move into a place of believing in, of entrusting your life to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life that we celebrate every Easter. Yes, we remember the story that early on that day, they went to the tomb and it was empty, and there's a million things we could say about that, but we remember Jesus is our resurrection and our life. So the question for us this morning is, what are you going to do with that? Do you believe that? Let me pray. Jesus, I, I ask that you, would, that you would ask us this question this week in the quiet. That you would come to us in the way that you do. And you would remind us of this question. Do you believe this? Jesus, we thank you for the reality of resurrection celebration. And we thank you for all the things that come with that that are signs of how good you are for time with family and lunch with friends and for family pictures and all the things that we get to do that celebrate this time of the year. But Jesus, first and foremost, would you help us to deal with this question of whether or not we believe that you are the resurrection and the life? Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning who is feeling drawn to you, that they would just be bold enough to admit it, to just say, I, I don't even understand how it works, but I, I didn't used to believe, and now I do somehow. I want to trust in Jesus. Would you give us the boldness to just make that statement this morning, if that's us? And Jesus, we, again, we thank you for this time and we ask that you bless the rest of the morning we're gonna to spend together and the afternoon with family and friends, hopefully. And we pray all this in your name, amen.